We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We're the Men from Moto, and you're listening to episode 73, New Patch, Who Dis? My name is David Spill, and I have Travis Sowers on the line with me this week. Uh, draft Master, I would say, this week on Arena. How are you, sir? Actually, I believe right now it's Gold One Drafter, uh, but I'm mm. doing pretty good, and I'm enjoying drafting in Arena. It's a lot of fun, dude. I'm not convinced you can go higher than Gold One anymore. I'm really not either, honestly, because I've had a lot of wins at Gold One, and it hasn't changed, but we'll see. I, maybe I'll get there tomorrow. So, I mean... How's the patch been for you? It seems to be treating you quite nicely so far. Yeah, my plan was I was going to draft until I ran out of gems, and then I'd start looking at Constructed. And uh, I haven't started looking at Constructed yet. So despite being a uh, Debbie Downer about the prize, prize structure for competitive drafting, it seems that you are taking advantage of some of the poor souls spending all of their hard-earned gems on Arena and just raking them in yourself. I stopped tracking it when I was around 80% win rate, uh, and I've had more wins than losses since then. I, I, I still have a few issues with the prize structure, and we're going to talk some more about this because I, I think I can explain why I have a ridiculous win rate right now, although I don't anticipate keeping that. like That's, that's just not feasible to maintain. But I think I kind of know why it's happening right now. Okay. Well, I mean... Let's just talk about it. Let's just jam about it. Why do you think that you have a ridiculous win rate in draft right now? Okay. Well, like, I could draft pretty well in Magic Online, and I think, I, I, this is a guess, but I still felt like I was winning more than I was losing, so I'm going to guess, I don't know, 60%, 65%, something like that in Moto. I didn't have to spend any money, and I was drafting it, and it was going fine. But we've got kind of a, a confluence of things happening here. I think a portion of it is there's a huge influx of new players right? Some of them don't know how to draft. Some of them have drafted at FNM, right? And they're, they're not really, I don't want to say, well, actually I can say I play magic all day for like the past five years. I should be pretty darn good at it now. So I expect I'm a little bit better than somebody that's just walking into this. There's another thing where like, imagine you've spent your gym, you've, you spent your money, you've got your gems and you now know that those gems are going to be refunded to you at some point. So it's kind of like free money. Like, I've I've got these 5,000 gems left over after I bought the decks I wanted to play and constructed. Let's do this draft thing. Why not? I'm going to get the money back anyway. So I feel like there's also an influx of people who either don't draft a lot or are just kind of really shouldn't be in the competitive draft queue. They should be somewhere else, right? Like maybe in the quick draft queue or... You know, again, maybe just playing constructive, but they're like, whatever, I'll get in here. Because I've, I've still had things like people concede when I, I, you know, three for one them, but they've still got 20 life and the board's not completely dominant. Just had people instant concede. And like, that's just not something you saw in the competitive queues in Magic Online. So like, okay. I think all of that is is kind of beginning to factor into this. And then probably the last one is the way that I draft 
tends to be entirely focused on reading signals. We talked about this some last week, but like I'm not quite as good at sending signals as I am reading them. But I, I think that's one thing I'm very good at. And when you're drafting with bots, that's the main thing you have to do. They're going to get in the lane. They're going to stick to it. And if you can figure out what's open by pick four, you're going to have a bonkers deck. And if you ignore it and just try to force your first pick, you're not. Yeah, that's kind of the, the thing about arena drafting. And it punishes, I think, newer players that draft that flashy bomb or flashy rare first pick and try to stay in that lane only to discover that they have 16 playables the end of three packs or something like that. Yeah, reading signals is... I've definitely come a long way realizing that I need to focus on that more in draft than than I kind of was before. So that's a it's a good realization to have here. And and you know for all the new people out there that are drafting on Arena, just pay attention to what's being passed to you. Um, even if you're new to the format, if you're identifying that your packs are missing cards or missing colors entirely, so the general distribution of packs is that there's an even number of cards, give or take, like plus or minus one card, generally speaking, plus or minus two cards sometimes if there's a rare. Uh, and a bunch of uncommons of the same color, let's say. But like, you know, if you get to pick five or pick six and you see no green cards coming to you, um, you know, that that's a very good indicator. Even if you don't know what the power level of the green cards are, that's a very good indicator that, that green is not open, obviously. And once you start to understand which are the the kind of the, the duds in a specific color, you can start to eliminate those from, from your pack when you're scanning the pack looking for things in your color as well. Um, and that'll help you read the signals to say like, Hey, this color's not open. Right. And that's kind of drafting one-on-one. We take that for granted because we've drafted so much, but for people that are coming over, like you said, from Hearthstone, um, or other card games, let's say, or even they're just new to drafting in general, maybe they play standard all the time and they'd never drafted before. Um, you know, we take for granted that those people don't know how those types of things work when they're drafting. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Well, I unfortunately didn't get to draft much this week. Um, I did play a lot of constructed though, which was kind of fun. I hopped into the constructive, uh, constructed competitive queues for the first time, and uh, I must say, best of three with a sideboard was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm kind of jealous of the prize structure in competitive constructed, and that that does have me interested in playing it eventually. Uh, but I, I made a deal with the stream that we'd go check that out as soon as I ran out of gems, thinking that would be not too long. Uh, but we're still going. What's what's your record? How you doing? Um, in between the latter and constructed and the constructed queue, I've got about forty wins and I think only ten or twelve losses. I haven't been tracking it exactly, but I went, I did three, five, and ones in the competitive queues, and then the rest has been ladder play. Nice. So yeah, it's been pretty good. I've been playing Mardu vehicles, or at least a variation of it. It's a weird variation because I kind of had it set up for best of ones. And then I just tossed the sideboard on it and started playing the best of threes with it as well. And it seems to be going quite well for me so far. But it's a weird hybrid. I should really have two separate decks. I should have like a stock Mardu Vehicles deck with a good sideboard for the best of threes and then tweak it for best of ones instead of trying to play the same one between both. But, I mean, it seems to be going well. I've uh, tried to adapt to the arena meta um, kind of as well as I could. I There's not a lot of mono red chain whirlers, which I thought there would be. Um, so my little X ones, like the Bomat Couriers and the Toolcraft Exemplars and things like that, aren't dying to Chain Whirlers as much as I thought they were. And um, when I can play around counter spells, I've got pretty good game against Control a lot of the time too. So it's especially post sideboard. So it's been uh, it's been an interesting experience for me, and I am definitely enjoying it. I play the deck in paper a little bit too. We picked up the Challenger decks, and that was the one that I own. And um, it's uh, it's very satisfying. Let me tell you to curve out 
you know, one drop into Heart of Kirin into whatever, doesn't even matter what my three drop is, and kind of nug them for a million damage on turn three. It's it's usually pretty good. Yeah. And the upside is, is that with all the free cards that we got, um, it didn't cost a ton of wild cards for me to make the rest of this deck. Um, in fact, I went out of my way to not spend any wild cards when making it the first time. So I just took all the free cards that they gave us and kind of filled in the gaps of cards that I didn't have. Now, I had done a draft, so I did have a couple of cards, and I had opened my um, Kaladesh pack, so I had a couple of cards from there. But generally speaking, I think I only spent, I want to say, like, eight rare wild cards, and a couple of those were on lands, and then a handful of uncommon wild cards to fill out everything else. So I think that's a fairly cheap deck given where we're at in the kind of the the state of the collection and this is a brand new set coming out now granted a lot of that was from the free Kaladesh and Aether Revolt cards that they gave us and they gave us four of Heart of Kirin for example which is a mythic I couldn't imagine crafting four of those um you know they gave us things like foreign license disintegration which is pretty good uncommon in those colors um, but I didn't have to spend any uncommon wild cards there either which also seemed to be a premium for some reason so you know, it's a combination of the two things. It's a perfect storm. But for people that are just getting in right now and maybe have a handful of wild cards in their collection, it's a fair, it seems like a fairly easy deck to construct with the exception of having to buy a bunch of lands because the mana base in this deck is god-awful. It's absolutely terrible, and I wish that I had enough wild cards to, to just dump the whole thing and start fresh um, from the land perspective. Yeah, e- even when you've got all of the good lands, I can remember playing Mardu Vehicles in Standard a while back, and I can't imagine it's changed much in the last year, that even then you could have some really awkward draws. Yeah, I think what you want to do, so I'm going to describe this. We can post the, the deck list here on on, uh, on Twitter and on the show notes here, but um, for those that don't play Mardu Vehicles, so it's it's red, white, black, and the black is generally like a, it's basically a splash, but you want to make sure that you have enough black to support your licensed disintegrations and your scrap heap scroungers, which are kind of the two very important cards in the deck. Um, the deck is very streamlined. It's like every card in here has a role. And the a lot of your colored sources, um, you know, in, in kind of the stock deck and the challenger deck comes from Aether Hubs and Spire of Industries. Well, if, any, if anybody's ever played with those cards in, in Constructed, you know that Aether Hub is very reliable as long as it's you're only using it once. Um, the second you have to go and use it more than once, it kind of becomes a dead card. And Spire of Industry is great as long as you have a turn one artifact or a turn two artifact that's not going to get removed from the board. Well, in a world of Chain Whirlers that are killing your Bomat Couriers and Abrades that are killing your um, Heart of Kirins, Spire of Industry can get shut off quite easily. So it's still it's still a good card, but um, you know the, the mana base in the original deck, uh, from the Challenger series anyway... Um, kind of suffered this problem of either playing too many tap lands, right? You're playing Evolving Wilds and things like that, but you're hitting all your colors. Or you, Sometimes you get these very awkward hands where you have, you know, two Toolcraft Exemplars, which are one, uh, one in, or just the white, sorry. It's a, your one drop in white. And then you have a Veteran Motorist, which is red-white, and you have two Aether Hubs and no other land. And it's like, well, I can either play two one drops or I can play uh, my two drop in Scry and hopefully get some lands on top. And you're kind of knocking the top of your deck, hoping that you get there. So the good thing is, though, is the lands that we have available is, available to us now between um, the Aether Revolt block, Amonkhet, and Ixalan is actually even, Cal- uh, sorry, Dominaria. You've got the Canyon Sloughs, Clifftrop Retreats, Concealed Courtyards, Inspiring Vantages, 
an isolated chapel or the five that I'm running. And you can basically run four of each if you had enough wild cards to do that. And I think that would pretty, come pretty close to being a pretty good mana base for you. You probably want to tweak back or scale back your black a little bit and play some basics in there as well. Um, but that's a lot of rare wild cards to spend on the mana base for a deck that, I mean, rotates out in like six months. Yeah. But so, to be fair, pro- probably prior to the deck rotating out, there'll be a collection wipe. So it's it's not like you're doing anything better with these wild cards. Yeah, I've kind of got over my fear of spending wild cards. And part of that is because there's going to be a wipe. It's just like, why do I sit on nine rare wild cards when I can just play a deck that I want to play? And, and who cares if I don't get to play another deck before the wipe, right? Or I'll get packs eventually. It doesn't really matter. Um, just get over that hump of spending your wild cards that that, and you'll be fine, I think, so... But anyway, I mean, I will share the deck list here, but like, given all the cards that you start with, so I'll just step through, like, we've got, we got four Bowmat Couriers, which is great, that's a staple in the deck here. We got four Scrap Heaps Grounders, also a staple. Um, We got a bunch of Uncommons, so we got two Uncommons of each, so that covers our, most of our veteran motorists. We got one of every rare, so I'm playing Depala. I'm playing two of them, so I have to construct one of those, and a PNLR. I also constructed one of those. Um, and then after that, we got Heart of Kieran's. Like, we got four of those. And we got one Aethersphere Harvester, which is also good in this deck. And one uh, Sky Sovereign, the console flagship, which is a great card, by the way. It's just nugs to fairy all day, and I love it. Um, but aside from those, and then your lands, there's really no other rares that go in this deck. So from all the cards that we got from the initial collection kind of gift to us you're probably 70-80% of the way there. Um, and you can fill in a lot of these gaps with cards that may already be in your collection. So well, let's... Um, you and I were talking on the warm-up show here, like what can you put in this deck to replace some of these things? So we can go down the list here of the cards that are missing. We can kind of maybe brainstorm a little bit here. Maybe you have some ideas. Um, I certainly had some ideas. And what I tried to do is when I originally built this deck is I tried to not spend any wild cards and the deck wasn't great but it won enough games that I was like okay I'm pretty happy about this I'm going to spend wild cards on it now yeah I want to I want to take this portion from the perspective of somebody who just got into beta understands magic and and constructed and like that sort of thing but they're like what deck am I supposed to build and I'm not going to spend any money yet because either I'm, I'm not invested in the program or they still don't take paypal that might bother some people I don't know um, so like I just got in, I've got my starter collection. What can I do from that? So you, you said I'm 70% of the way there. What sort of substitutions can I make with the idea that I'll play this on the ladder, get my quests done, get some individual card rewards, maybe win some packs and then start getting somewhere. Yeah. So, so sure. So the key thing in the deck is you want to be crewing vehicles as soon as possible. Um, and so the first kind of key card that you're not going to have is the toolcraft exemplar this is a one one that gets plus two plus one in your combat step if you have an artifact so it's a very aggressive one drop assuming you have something to back it up with and the key thing here is that it crews heart of kieran so what you're looking for for replacement here so you only get one of these unfortunately in your your collection and it, it is a rare so um it's kind of a bit you know, you have to take your lumps and craft it, I think, if you want the deck to really shine. But what you're looking to replace it with is any kind of two drop that has three power, I would say. So the first thing that comes to mind when I was searching is uh, a card called Aether Geode Miner, which is three and a one for, uh, sorry, a one and a white for three one dwarf. And the key thing here is that it's a dwarf. Uh, whenever it attacks, you get two energy. 
and you can also pay two energy to exile it and return it to play under your control so it kind of has this like uh blink protection style clause um the reason i liked it is because of the three power obviously but also it gave me energy for the aether hubs and when i didn't have all the rare lands crafted it was a way to kind of help power through my aether hubs in certain hands when i was stuck and so you get one of those for free that comes with the the gift of kaladesh here so that's not a bad card and the reason the dwarf is important is because we're playing Depala, which gives you dwarves plus one plus one and you can also kind of pseudo tutor up dwarves whenever she taps you can pay a bunch of mana you can look at the top cards look for dwarves and vehicles so it gets plus one or basically plus one in my books for being a dwarf but also with the energy synergy there um now it's not a one drop but we're not going to find one drops that have three power that's just not something that that we get unless we're playing toolcraft exemplar we have to jump through that hoop to get there so that's a fine i think replacement there um if i'm playing three veteran motorists and i had to craft one of those but you can also just if you have the uncommon wild cards in your 16 or 20 or however many packs you open to start with is you can just play an extra veteran motorist right you can just play four of those guys and and suck it up and don't play the toolcraft exemplars that's something else you can do but you can also just play a random 3-1, right? You can play a Raptor's Companion, which is a common. You can play a Knight of New Banalia, which is a 3-1. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Or the, which, Yeah, that's, that's the it. one that I'm thinking of. Um, you can't really play... I was looking at the Banalish Honor Guard, the 2-2. You can't really rely on having a legendary creature, though, to make it a 3-2. So I think I'd stick to the 3-1s. Um, but you should be able to find a bunch of those um you know the style of cards and i've actually seen people play there's a one drop that is a one two that gets plus one plus one if you have an artifact nerd ape what's what's the name of that one <laughs> i know what you're talking about but i can't remember I the name of the card we call it nerd ape and i can't remember the, the name of the card specifically um that's okay but it has the downside obviously of not being three power right so you're playing that to be more aggressive and not necessarily crewing your vehicles whereas the toolcraft exemplar and the three ones are there just pretty much just a crew heart of kieran so so that's kind of your first kind of you know non-optimal replacement for the deck but i think it, i think those are fine and you can play them and get the idea of how the deck works without spending any wild cards on those okay um that card is inventor's apprentice mm-hmm. and interestingly it's it's a one two and then gets plus one plus one if you have an artifact so if if chain whirler does become a problem that's something this deck could actually do to adapt yeah, it could. It's it still suffers that problem of not being able to crew Heart of Kieran. But that yeah. being said, it plus something else can crew Heart of Kieran, right? It plus a Bomat Courier or a Thopter token or something along those lines can crew Heart of Kieran. So you can you can do that. But what you're looking at getting is you're looking at getting somehow getting three power on turn two or turn three, so you can attack with those vehicles. That's that's the key thing there. And I had uh, one other one I'd mentioned. Now it's an uncommon, and I don't know if you're going to end up with one of these. But somebody in my chat was talking about Relentless Raptor as an option, and I initially didn't get it. It's red-white for a 3-3 Vigilance. It attacks or blocks each combat if able. And I was like, well, aren't they just going to eat it? Well, no, not if you're crewing a vehicle with it, right? So like, if it would have to attack in and die, even if you don't want to attack with your vehicle, just crew it and let it go. And I mean, looking at the meta, there's not a lot of blocking going on anyway. Um you know, unless you're playing against like a dinosaur deck or somebody with first strike, like the knight deck, there's not a lot of decks out there that are can punish the three three that has to attack. It seems like so. I think it's probably pretty low risk to give it a try. It's just hard to cast. 
Um, and But you're playing veteran motorists already anyway, so I think this is actually a really good replacement for the veteran motorists if you don't want to spend the uncommon wild cards on those because they take this... You, it's the same risk to cast it on turn two, um, given that they're both red-white. And this one's just a little bit of a downside in that it has to attack um, and it doesn't give plus one, plus one to your vehicle. I guess it doesn't scry either. It's substantially worse, um, but it'll give you an idea of how the deck plays out if you just pretend that it's a veteran motorist when you're, whenever you play. And it's like, oh, this card could be so much better if only I had an, uh, an extra uncommon wild card to spend. But yeah, you should have those. Um, I mean, you might you might not if you don't open them in your packs, I guess. Um, but it, you should be able to randomly find one, I would think, out of your however many packs that you open. Mm-hmm. One would hope. Or if you get to do a draft or something like that. Um. So then we talked about the veteran Modestral already. Again, you're just looking for three power creatures. The dinosaur there is, is a pretty good one. Um, the next kind of key card here is Depala. Now, I've seen a lot of Mardu vehicles that don't play this. Um, I don't think she was popular in the Pro Tour version of the deck at all. I really like her in the deck because she gives your dwarves plus one, plus one, which is really good for being aggressive, but also gives your vehicles plus one, plus one, which means that your Hardikirin is attacking for five instead of four, which is a pretty fast clock. Um, and then she has the extra clause, which doesn't come up all that often, but when she taps, you get to spend X and you get to look at a bunch of cards, find dwarves and vehicles, put them into your hand. Um, I'm only running two of her. So, you know, you can spend your rare, rare wild card there if you have one. Um, but if not really, again, you're just looking for any kind of three drop that has three power. Um, if you happen to have an extra P and you can play her instead. Uh, she comes into play. She's a two, two that comes into play with a thopter. There's your three power right there. Um, but really you can just find anything in red and white. Um, I would stick to red or white, not necessarily black. I think that's still your splash, but you're looking for those, those three powers. Um, I don't one remember of the, cards the name I... of it, but there's a three mana three, three in red that has to attack from the Kaladesh block. I think it was like relentless rebel or something. That's not uh, great. Frontline, frontline rebel, frontline rebel. Yeah. Frontline rebel. You could play. It's the same as the, the Raptor in that case. It's much easier to cast. I mean, or you could just play a three, three haste. Right, there's the one red red gremlin of some kind, I think, that has uh that has haste in this block. Mm-hmm. Um harder to cast, right? You might have to make your mana base a little bit different because it's double red, but it's a three three that doesn't have to attack at all. And I'm pretty sure it's just a common, maybe it's an uncommon. Um but I think it comes from the Kaladesh block, and I think you should be able to just have one or two in your deck. So you can just play one of those. Yeah. Again, and just pretend it's it's giving your dwarves plus one plus one, right? Um and then PNLR, I mentioned that you start with one. If you have a second one, that's great. Put it in. If not, you know, play a 3 3 haste or play a 3 3 that just sits there. Like, there's a lot of. You could play the 3 3 that can't block unless you have a pirate. You could play, um, you know, in red, you should be able to find a lot of these three power creatures. There's three twos you could play. Um, again, strictly worse, but you could play a 3 2 that can create crew your heart of cure and that is really the goal here is to crew your vehicles you could play the uh the advent trapper yes that would actually that would be interesting because it would tap your opponents down so i think if you're playing in like the bronze and maybe low silvers if you're playing against decks that aren't very powerful and are using creatures more than other decks like control decks and things like that that might be a legitimate option where you know you play a Bomac Courier, you tap something down with your Trapper, and all of a sudden you're singing for 5 or 6 or 7 or whatever you are. Um, that's not a bad idea either. So there's a lot of options you can do just to get a feel for the deck. Alright. 
What else do we need so, to, to upgrade in here or, or kind of replace if, if we don't have all the wild cards initially? So I'm playing three of braids, and these are really a key uncommon, and you play them in a lot of decks, especially in a best of one ladder, because they destroy artifacts and because they kill creatures. Um, if you don't have the wild cards to spend on those, you will probably have a random lightning strike somewhere, potentially, which is also an uncommon. Um, you could play open fires instead, which is three mana for three damage at instant speed. Basically, you're looking for any kind of removal spells in there. You could play uh, a Fatal Push if you wanted to. Um, maybe change up your mana base to play a little bit more black if you're going to do that. But really, you're just looking for three solid removal spells. A Braids being the best because they're modal spells, but really anything in that range for one, two, three mana that can kill creatures is probably okay. Shock? Is the deck playing Shock anyway? I have Shock in the sideboard, so if you're playing best of one ladders, um, you could probably play Shock in the main to deal with the mono red matchup. But I play it out of the board because I'm usually okay against mono red, and then I bring Shocks in out of the board to uh, to really crush their spirits. That's the idea. You could play it. It's, it's a bit of a liability. There's a lot of creatures out there that don't die to Shock. Um, but, you know, in a pinch, you could definitely play two Shocks in here. So, like, if it's three of braids and I don't have any, maybe I could put in two shocks and a baffling end and say, okay, I've got this covered. Mm -hmm, absolutely. You could even play, like, a, a seal away or two baffling ends, right? You can switch it up if you're playing best of ones. Try to find what fits the meta, but you really want that spot to be um, kind of solid, reliable removal spells, I would say. And then you're running those alongside the four unlicensed, unlicensed disintegrations that you already have. So between those... Um, you know, that should shore up a lot of your removal, I would think, and that'll cover most of your bases. Okay. Um, and then for removal, I'm also running two castouts. Now, I was kind of talking about this before, is that I'm running this kind of weird hybrid between a best of one and a best of three deck. Normally the castouts are in the sideboard. I've been running the main deck because I'm running into a lot of control that are playing, like white control that's playing castouts and Ixlan's bindings of their own. I'm also running into a lot of Planeswalkers, and sometimes just flashing in a cast-out end of turn when your opponent taps out for a Teferi, um, you know, you can make a lot of gains in that just by surprising them with a, with a cast-out. Um, normally, I would be bringing them in out of the sideboard anyway in those matchups, so I'm kind of pre-sideboarding, I guess, for those matchups, and I'm putting other things in my sideboard instead. Sure, sure. Um, and, it, and, it, and it's really good if you get stuck and you can cycle. You know, when I was having mana issues... Um, you know, I'd cycle looking for a particular land or something like I need black or something like that. I, I'd try to dig for lands early. So the cycling is kind of important there, especially in the best of one. Finally, we got our vehicles. Now, luckily you have most of the vehicles you need. The only thing you're missing, I think, is one Aether Sphere Harvester. And believe it or not, I was running limited all-star untethered express in the Aether Sphere Harvester spot. Okay. So untethered express is a 4-4 that gets a plus one plus one counter whenever it attacks and i think it's only crew it's one crew if one. i remember correctly it's 100 percent crew one so where it shone it's brightest was in matchups where the my opponent was kind of trying to stall me out on the board and i couldn't crew my heart of kieran and i had a little bomat courier sitting there just waiting to do something untethered express comes down this guy crews it up all of a sudden it's a five five then a six six then a seven seven um and they got to deal with it real quick it's very vulnerable to, obviously, a lot of removal spells. It costs four mana, which also really sucks, and it has no other utility except that it eats a removal spell. Um, but against control, if control doesn't answer it right away, it gets out of control. Um, it does more damage than a Heart of Kirin over time. So 
I wouldn't put all your eggs in that basket, but it sure is fun when it goes off. So one of those is a decent replacement for the Aethersphere Harvester. And if you're looking for something that's the same converted mana cost, you could just run a Renegade Freighter. You could run a Renegade Freighter, which is basically the same thing. Um, It just doesn't gain that power over time. Mm -hmm. So you're... In fact, that actually probably is a better replacement for it, um, the more that I think about it. So but it's not as cool. Either one of those is fine. I don't know. I love the plus one, plus one sticking around. But anyway, your game's over in four turns. If, if it's not over in four turns, you're you're probably losing that game against control anyway. So. so, and then the biggest crutch of this deck is the crappy mana base. And it, it sucks, but you really don't want to be playing tap lands in this deck. So running the Aether Hubs and the Spire of Industries are kind of important if you're running the quote-unquote budget version of this deck. You just kind of have to be aware that you're going to get hosed by your lands. And it's going to happen enough that you're going to question your life. Um, What you can do here is you can play the tap lands. You should have all of the tap lands um, for all of the color pairs in here. You can play Evolving Wilds. You can play... Um, I think you get some number of these rare lands in your collection. Like, you get one Concealed Courtyard and one Inspiring Vantage just from having Kaladesh cards. So play those, obviously, for sure. Just be very aware of the number of sources you're running. So, you know, if you're only running the four black cards, you know, tone down your black enough and kind of you can kind of rely on your Spire of Industries and rely on your Aether Hubs just to make sure you're hitting your red and white early. That's, that's the key thing. Um... You know, if you're playing a bunch of tap lands, that might be okay if you're not running a bunch of toolcraft exemplars because you don't need to hit those guys on turn one if you're going to try to hit your turn twos instead. Um, so you can kind of play those tap lands if you're leaning more toward a turn two, turn three play instead of a turn one play reliably. But if you're playing more toolcraft exemplars, you know, make sure you're running more planes um, and make sure you're running anything that comes into play untapped in, in white. So the black in this deck is primarily for unlicensed disintegration. What else in black are you running? You're not running anything else in that. So if you wanted to, is you could cut the black entirely and just play straight red-white. That makes your mana base much easier. You can cut the Aether Hubs probably. Um, and all you have to do is find four replacements for unlicensed disintegration, whether that be in white uh, or red. Okay, so you could play cast outs, you could play open fire. Like if you wanted to make a a budget red-white vehicles, that wouldn't be too difficult to do either. Not at all. You lose the you lose the the duresses out of the sideboard and you lose the activations on the scrap heaps groungers. So you you still probably want to make sure I guess that you're playing those spire of industries so you can get those scrap heaps groungers back. Um but you could also just replace those for other things. The scroungers are so good though casting them from the graveyard. Um, that I think, I think you definitely want to try to play those if you can, but like, I think you could make a, a red, white version and just shove the concealed courtyard that you already get in, still play the four Aether hubs, still play the four spires of industry, and then just have a good red, white mana base after that. And I've got nine black sources just randomly hiding in there. So I think you could get away with that. Absolutely. And you really only need the one if you're doing that. Um, unlicensed disintegration is a very good card though. Oh yeah, like, for sure. Don't. Don't sweat the three damage to the face most of the time. And in, in, on top of that, it's like a two for one. Um, but yeah, you can definitely play a budget red-white version. And I've seen some good versions out there in in the games that I've played. Um, you know, whenever you're playing three colors, you're running the risk that you're not going to hit those three colors. So, you know, trimming that down to two, especially in a best of one ladder, getting more consistency out of the deck 
will give you, I think, a lot of play. So maybe I'll put together a red, a red white version of this that is quote unquote free, um, not spending any wild cards, and we'll see how good it does in the in the best of one ladder. I think that would be fun too, and I, I may even do that too when I get into constructed because so many people are asking about it. I want like. I loved that we had the blue white starter deck because people would come in and say, what did just got my key? What should I play? And I want to be able to tell them something. And I feel like red, white vehicles, given the starting collection that you get now is really either that or Mardu vehicles. If you want to take a risk on the mana base, those are the two decks you should be looking at, you know, right out of the gate, just because they're so Kaladesh centric and we get so many of those cards. Like it's, it's kind of silly not to just build this. Yeah, and the best part about it too is if you're learning how to play Magic, once you figure out the tricks of the deck, you know, for example, Kring Heart of Kirin with your Toolcraft Exemplar that is a 1-1 that becomes a 3-2, for example, um, and you learn your sequencing and your timings, it's a very easy deck to pilot. Um, it's it, it's e- it should be easy to pick up for a lot of people and maybe hard to master um, in particular matchups, but I think the, a new player can get a lot of mileage out of a deck like this because it's very creature based um it dodges a lot of you know sorcery speed obviously removal with the vehicles and things like that you can dodge things like fumigate um and you're you have threats that are resilient enough that you can play around counter spells or um you know if you run into a counter spell you can play your scrap heap scrounger from the graveyard for example so and and your deck is so threat dense that I think you're always going to have action and you'll feel good about playing the deck as a new player. So I would highly encourage people to look into this, build it however you like, but you should have enough in your collection to at least get you, like I said, 70% of the way there. And I think you will enjoy your time. Okay. Groovy. Yeah. I'm going to have to build this too, man. It It's fun. It's fun. You're though. You're just going to be drafting the whole time anyway. So yeah. And, and as it goes to drafting, I, will bring us into the second phase of our podcast today as regards to the new patch. So we've got quick draft available 24 seven and competitive draft available 24 seven. And there are so many people in chat, uh, many of them coming from hearthstone. Many of them, I played magic 20 years ago who are like, okay, how do I draft? How does this work? What should I first pick? And I've had so many people asking me these questions. I'm like, we should probably just address this on the podcast and kind of walk through like a little bit of basic draft theory to get people ready to walk in. And this can be useful to you as if you're an enfranchised player and you've been playing this forever. Cause I know we don't, we don't like, I want to keep things newbie friendly, but not so much so that we're, you know, there's no reason to listen to us once you know what you're doing in, in draft. So I, I think somebody that's more enfranchised could still use this when you're either approaching a format that you haven't played before I know there's plenty of people playing Arena now that started in M and Cat, and they're looking at these Aether Revolt drafts, going, "What am I supposed to pick?" So I, I think we've got some useful stuff here for everybody. But I, I want to start us off uh, by kind of discussing bread theory. Are, are you familiar with bread theory? I'm sure you are. Yeah, I am very, very familiar with bread theory. I think that was kind of a new thing when I was learning how to draft originally. That was kind of the the acronym to help you out. So. Bread stands for bombs, removal, evasion. A is... Attack? Is it? Oh, so creatures? Yeah, I always thought it was attack and defend. Uh, I thought D was duds. Oh, <laughs> maybe it is. I forget what the A and D are. I thought A was augmentation and D were duds. Anyway, whatever. It doesn't matter what the A and D are because really what matters is the Brie. 
bombs, removal, and evasion. Those three things basically win you games of magic. If you have two of those things, you probably have a good deck. Yeah, and this this was the draft theory a long time ago, and it still holds true mostly to this day. But I, one of my ideas for a very early episode of us was to do breaking bread because I was like, bread theory kind of doesn't 100% hold up anymore. I did a quick Google search to make sure that nobody had done it before, and it was like episode 40 of Limited Resources. And I was like, oh, well, they, they kind of figured this out five years ago, and we're talking to people about it, which is definitely not a bad thing. But I, I want to very briefly explain why bread broke a little bit and then how you can still generally use this to move forward. So in old limited magic formats, spells were better, creatures were worse. Okay? So your removal was Doomblade or Terror. One in a black, destroy target, non-artifact, non-black creature. That was premium removal. Everybody was taking them. Everybody was splashing them. You just picked that over everything. And the, the bombs were what, honestly, today we'd just call decent creatures. If you took Baloth Gorger from the current set, changed the symbol to rare, and put it in an invasion booster, nobody would blink. Like, that would have been a legitimate bomb in that format. Like, we were playing, you know, five mana three threes that tap to change one basic land to another until end of turn. And we're pretty happy about it because that was our fixing Right, that was Sea Snid. That's a common creature from that set that was pretty good. So when you're when you're talking about bombs, it was really just efficient creatures. But you you would hardly ever take any of them over the removal because the removal was just so good. So like I, I I want that to sink in for a minute. Like some of the bombs that we have these days are just absurd by the standards of of old days. And it was a, a real game changer back in the past when people figured out like what a mana curve was and how it actually worked. So like efficiency really needs to come into your decision making these days. Whereas in the past, it kind of didn't. You could play 18 land decks with a bunch of really slow, dirtily stuff. And we have formats these days where you're able to do that. Dominaria being a great example. But you still need to be mindful of your curve. You can't draft a deck that's all four drops and expect to get anywhere with it. So I, I think bread is still definitely here, and those are still the same general rules that I would follow. But I'd be aware that bombs have gotten a lot better than they used to be. So when I say bombs, I mean legitimate bomb, not just, hey, this is a pretty good rare. I'll take it over this um, settle the score, for example. Like, no, you just take the settle the score. It, you know, if it's a legitimate bomb, then take it. But if it's not, you need to take the removal over it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So I think what what new people coming to the game, and I'm thinking for people coming from Hearthstone specifically, so you're coming from Arena where you're always presented with three choices. Sorry, Arena in Hearthstone. Um, and you get to make it a very easy, usually, decision. Not easy, but like... You only have three choices, right? You don't have to worry about having 14 cards to look at. And you have to figure out if the rare is any good. And then, okay, well, these uncommons, which ones are good? You know, maybe you miss out that some commons are better than uncommons. And uncommons are better than rares. There's a lot going on for somebody new to the format. So, you know, what's your advice to somebody when... Or, like, even just me, for example, if I'm drafting, like, you know, OG Zendikar or something like that is, like... 
how do you identify what a bomb is or what is a what is a candidate for being a bomb when it comes to a creature or a removal spell or something like that um what do you what do you look for when you're taking things over removal in your creatures let's say so a, a bomb by necessity for for my definition is a card that if resolved and not dealt with will win you the game and that's the beginning and end of that so if if it's not that it's not a bomb so a removal spell really can't be a bomb now fight fire with fire is an example of a removal spell that's getting really close because quite often if you get late enough in the game and you can resolve that you can just burn your opponent out so a removal spell like that and we've seen cards like this throughout magic fireball devil's play like these are cards that exist in magic's history that are able to do something like that. So like that's a removal spell that's kind of pushing those edges. But generally speaking for me, a, a bomb is a creature that comes into play and then must be dealt with immediately by your opponent or it's just going to kill them. A, a great example from a, a Dominaria is Demon Lord Belzenlock. Like, all right, I and he's even above that, right? Because you have to deal with it or it's going to kill you. And I just drew a card or two, which is going to help me catch up even if you do. So, like, that's a bomb for me. I'm first picking that every time, regardless of what else is in the pack. Mm -hmm. I, I look at things that obviously have built-in two-for-one value as well. So, in Bolas's Clutches is a really good example. You're removing their biggest threat, but you're also getting a threat out of it as well. Um, so, I, th I think removal spells, if there are removal spells that are two-for-ones, um, you know, if Urza's... Or, sorry, not Urza's... Um, uh, Yogmoth's Vile Offering was not a legendary sorcery and is just a regular sorcery, that is an example of a removal spell that would be probably be a bomb. Um, I, you know, things like that, I think. I would still argue that that's not a bomb, that's a value card. Like, let I, I know you're never going to get this pack, but let's say you have a pack that has Ravenous Chupacabra in it and Bells and Lock. What are you taking? Mm. <laughs> I mean, Chupacabra's pretty good, but, I mean, the the six six flyer or whatever that draws you a card i mean they're both two for ones they they are but like if you resolve a like i can envision plenty of board states where i resolve a ravenous chupacabra and it doesn't win me the game now it, no for sure it may get me back into a game that i was losing which is great and that that certainly goes on that scale and i'd argue that now it's bombs removal efficiency is really what i'm looking for right and and chupacabra is just value that's 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 wonderful but like I, for me, a bomb is I play this and my it's basically, do you have a removal spell, Dave? Because if you don't, I'm going to win. Yeah. And, and that's fair. Like we're we're not we're on the same page on that one. I would absolutely take the the demon lord over over a chupacabra. It's just that, you know, there are the rare removal spells that are bombs. So immolating Inferno, if it was not a legendary sorcery, you would pick that very, very highly in a lot of packs. You would pick that over a lot of creatures in, in a lot of packs because of its potential to completely just change the game, right? Mm -hmm. So either it wins you the game or I think it changes the game such that you're winning. I think those, those are kind of the two, the two key things, I think. Yeah. And I think a bomb can be either of those. True. And like formats that have wraths in them, a wrath can sort of be a bomb. Like there's a lot of different opinions about wraths and limited, but generally speaking, I'm going to play them when I can. They're not as good as they used to be when you could reliably get them for four mana, because then you can kind of slow roll it and, you know, three for one your opponent or whatever. And it, it's also going to depend on the format. Like I feel like two for ones aren't as valuable in Dominaria as they were in Rivals. 
Like if, if I got a two for one against my opponent and rivals, I'm probably winning that game. Whereas, you know, it's just free two for ones for everybody in, in Dominaria. And what we mean mm-hmm. for newer players by two for one is like, I use one card to answer two of my opponents. So a great example of that is Dave attacks me with a 3-3. I block with my 3-3. He casts a combat trick, and in response, I use Gideon's Reproach to kill his creature. So that means my Reproach got the combat trick and the guy I killed. There's some formats where that would just be devastating, and the game basically ends on the spot. And in Dominaria, I don't believe that's the case because the quality of the creatures is so high. Like, me killing your random hill giant doesn't really matter. It's you're going to play a, a legendary creature soon and I need to be able to answer that. Mm-hmm. So then, okay, so you got your bombs, then you've got the R is is removal. Um and I think I suffer from this a little bit is when I'm new to a format or learning a format or even returning to a format that I haven't drafted in a long time is I will lean heavily on the removal more than I will anything else. So I will take first pick removal quite frequently out of a lot of packs and that's partially because either i don't know which the what the bombs are in the format or how good or slow or format the format is for example but also just removal is is just removal i know what removal does right there's not a lot of variations on removal there's unconditional removal there's damage based removal there's conditional removal counter spells if you want to count those combat tricks like i know what all of those do and i don't have to kind of parse the cards to know that eviscerate is likely a solid card in a format unless the format's just way too fast for eviscerate right um so i like to lean heavily on my my knowledge in that regard and know that removal is usually good if it's unconditional would you do you agree on that one generally speaking yes speed of the format's a big deal uh we went Mm -hmm. from final reward not being very good in amon cat to final reward being amazing in hour of devastation and for those of you that didn't play there, Final Reward was four and a black for an instant exile target creature. Uh, Cat by itself was just too fast. Most decks were looking to curve out two, three, four, five, and or honestly, two, three, four, a pair of twos. You're de- at a combat trick and you're dead. Like you just didn't have time to spend five mana for removal. Whereas Hour of Devastation added to that format really slowed things down. And mo- like some decks weren't even really playing two drops anymore. Um, so all of a sudden that, that, that card went from relatively non-desirable removal or at least something that you wouldn't frequently first pick to something that you were thrilled to see, you know, pack one, pick one, and pack three. So like that's always going to be dependent on, on the pack one, pick one. I guess it's pack three, pick one. My apologies. I saw you roll your eyes there. <laughs> but did you actually see me? I meant not to, I didn't mean to do that out loud. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, I could see that one. But like bear in mind the casting cost and the speed of the format. Any removal that's relatively inexpensive and isn't like based on any particular time is going to be good. And by that, I'm specifically talking about Gideon's Reproach. I've seen a lot of people encouraging me to first pick Gideon's Reproach. I'm like that's actually not quite a premium removal spell. I look at that as kind of a neat combat trick, right? Uh, Because Gideon's Reproach, like if I'm attacking, they get to block first and then I use it. If they're attacking me, well, then I can kill something there unless they have a combat trick, which will trump it, right? So like the worst feeling ever is your opponent attacks you with their two-headed giant and you're like, gotcha, Gideon's Reproach. And they're like, ah, run amok, just take an extra three. Like there that game's probably over 
So unconditional removal is certainly something that I value, and any removal that's inexpensive to cast is something I value. So like Seal Away is basically the same thing as Gideon's Reproach, but combat tricks aren't going to get it. The thing's just dead when it's attacking you. You can't clear blockers with it, but that's what makes Seal Away so good, is that that thing you need dead, it's dead. Uh, Blessed Light in Dominaria is very good because it exiles everything in the format slow enough that you're fine paying five mana for that. I played a deck the other day that had four of those in it, and I was happy about it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and I think, you know, as long as you're not taking, like, removal that is three mana deal two damage to something, right? As long as the removal that you're taking fits... It it needs to suit the situation that you're casting it for. So Vicious Offering, um, you know, minus two, minus two, you might look at that and say, well, you know that's not great why would it take you know that doesn't kill a lot of things in the format let's say but you know the fact that it's two mana means that it it actually does what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to look you're supposed to kill two drops that you care about or sometimes a three drop that you care about or a fly or a four drop that you care about um ignoring the fact that it has the upside of minus five minus five if you sacrifice a creature um but then you know you, and you look at something like shock and and in some formats shock is very good because it's hyper efficient you'll kill a two drop most of the time with it in some formats for one mana and then other formats where there's just no x2s to kill you know it's not a very good card it's kind of a dead card late game so you it's tough to know what's in the format you know when you're picking your removal spells which is why you should lean more toward the unconditional ones but just be advised that sometimes you have these role players that you have to be taking unconditional ones are much better to first pick yeah, it, it catches me too. I've been playing some Aether Revolt drafts, and I've seen a lot of people playing uh, two cards specifically that just aren't good. One of them was Shock, which you just mentioned. Like, there's just not enough stuff in that format that it kills. And I remember us doing an episode two years ago where I compared, you know, what Shock killed in Tempest where we first saw it and what it kills in Aether Revolt. And it, it, it like, killed everything in Tempest. The card was great, and it kills hardly anything here. And the other one was Deft Dismissal, which I think is a, a, a card you probably don't remember, but I've seen a lot of it because I've been playing these Aether Revolt drafts, and it, it gets me into another trap for new players that they really need to try to avoid. Uh, Deft Dismissal is three and a white for an instant. It deals three damage divided as you choose among any number of attacking creatures. So people see that, and they're like, oh my god, I can kill three things with this card. And that's just not what it does. Uh, what it does is usually three damage to one attacking creature because your opponent's not going to attack you with a bunch of one ones or three ones. Uh, and that that trap, I first heard about this on limited resources way back in the day, is best case scenario. Like when you look at a card and imagine what's the the best thing that this card can do, and then evaluating it based on that. So if you look at Death Dismissal and think my opponent attacks me with you know. Three three ones, and I kill all three of them. That's that's obviously a huge dream, but that's that's not really what's going to happen here. Like a, a very realistic scenario is they attack you with a pair of two twos, and you kill one of them. Like, are you happy about that for four mana? I'm not. So like, I never played that card and actively avoided playing with it. But I've seen opponents making some weird trades and and just kind of playing funky and then I'm I'm kind of thinking okay they must have impeccable timing and I attack in and they use that as an impeccable timing and I'm like yeah it's just not a good card uh so be careful when you're looking at these and evaluating them like a big part of this is knowing how the format is going to line up oddly enough in Aether Revolt 
the green fight spell is very good and shock is very bad. Whereas you switch that to Dominaria, the shock variant, Shivan, Shivan Fire, is very good and Ancient Animus is very bad. So it's one of those things like format knowledge is going to depend some on that. Uh, so I, I would do what Dave's saying here and kind of lean towards the black and white options if, if you can, because those are generally going to say some version of kill the thing. Exactly. And really when you're looking at first picks, like between bombs and removal, those are 90% of your packs. You're going to have some form of good removal or some form of bomb. Um, in the cases where you don't, though, now you need to be looking for the creatures, likely the creatures that are efficient. Um, so I think previously in bread it was evasion, but you mentioned efficient, and I like that a lot more. Um, so what you're looking for efficiencies are, you know, a card like Slimefoot is efficient, but I think some people also classify him as a, like almost like a bomb, maybe. Oh, I he's guess. a bomb. Um, I mean, I'm sure some people disagree with you there, but like they're wrong. You know, a a card that gets you. Um, you know, some kind of incremental advantage or a card that gets you, um, you know, a couple of bodies, things like that. Those are kind of your efficiency, uh, efficiencies. And um, believe it or not, I think a lot of creatures in magic in the uncommon spot probably fall in this category. Um, and there's probably a good number of commons that fall into that category. So there's really like your gap between your best pick and your worst pick in this case um, probably isn't that wide if you're if the card you're picking has some kind of text on it. Mm -hmm. And then another question I got a lot was what makes a good first pick when you've got several things that are close in power level. And I, I think an excellent example today was a pack that I opened in uh, Aether Revolt, and it was pack one, pick one. It it had like some good cards, but it basically came down to Winding Constrictor, which is green black for a two three. Uh, whenever anybody would get a, any of your stuff would get a counter, it gets an extra counter. So if you're getting energy, it gives you one extra energy. If you're putting a plus one, plus one counter on one of your dudes, you would get an extra one. And like that was a theme for green, black in the set. And the pack also had a treasure keeper, which was four mana for a three, three. Uh, when it dies, you get to basically cast a free spell from your deck. Like I won't go into all the details. Like winding constrictor in a green, black deck is the best card in the green-black deck. Like, it's just super mana efficient. You get a 2-3 for 2. Like, I would play 2-3s for 2 all day, no matter what the format was. And then it's also going to have synergy, which is, like, that's going to be my last point of things to look for in modern sets. Uh, the challenge with it, though, is there's 10 color pairs that you could be playing in draft, and Winding Constrictor goes in only one of those, whereas the Treasure Keeper goes in all 10 of them, so it's a little bit worse if I end up playing green-black, but it leaves me open to play anything. So, like, I'm never going to first pick a Winding Constrictor in a pack that has a Treasure Keeper because that just, like, I'm 100% to play that. And I tend to value colorless cards or cards that are a single color. And by that, I mean in the casting cost. So four red is obviously very different than two red, red, red. If I take that two red, red, red card... I'm heavy committing to red. Whereas if I take four and a red, I could splash that. And the argument came up in chat, well, you could just splash the winding constrictor if you end up playing, you know, green red. And I could, but that's not good for two reasons. One, I'm missing out on the efficiency of playing it on turn two, which is a big draw to the card. In addition, I'm going to miss out on some of the synergy. 
because those uh, plus one plus one counters specifically in this set were in green black not in green red so i really lose a lot of the power of the card if i end up splashing it so like that that's an important thing to look out for and then i would say the last one are synergies within the set which is very difficult to know when you first start playing what those synergies are going to be and you'll notice some of them as they come up but a, a good place you can look to identify these are the keywords on the cards in the set so improvise was a big keyword in in uh, Aether Revolt. So like if you open a pack and you see a card with improvise, which is you can tap artifacts for mana to cast this spell, that kind of gives you a clue that you might like to be playing a bunch of cheap artifacts. So you can kind of look around and that when you start seeing those implements, which really don't look like they're worth a card, maybe you start to get the idea, hey, I can play these implements with these improvise cards and then sort of cycle them afterwards. So I can get a Sweatworks Brawler on turn three and then sap sacrifice this, you know, implement of destruction or whatever and draw a card off of it. You start to kind of put together how those synergies will work. So I always like to look at those keywords and like what the mechanics are of the set. And you can like a little bit of Google Foo. I'm not saying you need to... to now, if I'm going to go draft a new format, I'm going to go look at every card in it because that's just the type of guy I am. But if you're like, I just want to try this draft format and see what it's about, at least just go Google the keywords for the draft. What are the mechanics in this set so that you're aware of what they are and in what directions they're going to be pushing you? Yeah, um, all that sounds great. Now I'm kind of ramped and ready to go to go and draft some kind of flashback draft on Arena. Oh, wait. You, you can draft uh, Rivals uh, of Ixalan starting soon. Yeah, starting soon let me get right on that the dominaria competitive this. drafts are actually pretty good man my complaints about the prize structure aside like and i, I honestly can't complain yet because i haven't run out of gems you will when you run out of gems yeah i still think yeah. you're right about that one we'll talk about that more i'm sure down the road but um i mean the the constructed cues the, the payouts and the competitive cues there are great so i've been i've been pretty thrilled with that so far especially given the fact that i can just play them in with gold that's the key thing there. So, so for me, if I'm going to like give a word to end on for a new player for a draft primer, look for bombs, and a bomb is something that you can play and it will end the game if your opponent doesn't answer it. Look for removal, prioritizing removal that kills anything. Uh, so non-conditional removal is what we're looking for. Then look for efficiency, and evasion still matters. Flyers are good, but like not every color has access to that. If you're playing green, you're rarely going to get a, a flyer. And then lastly, look for synergy, like any cards that might work together to form like combos or mini combos as you're playing. And then lastly, in your initial few picks, prioritize the cards that are very flexible that you could play in multiple decks. So again, if I open a, a pack that has a red-white removal spell that's really good and a black removal spell that's pretty good, I'm probably going to take the black one uh, because that's that goes in so many more decks than the other one. Yeah, that that sounds great. I'm uh yeah, I really have nothing else to add. That's pretty much exactly how I would go for it too. So, um the the key thing there is, you know, learning what cards are good and what cards are bad, and those aren't necessarily first picks, those are your later picks. So maybe we'll do that on another episode, but that also comes with a lot of experience. Yeah, practice. And I mean, what you can watch streamers who are doing this like if if you're watching my stream or Dave's stream and we're doing a draft and we just like 
pass over a card that you think has some validity. Both of ours are streams where you can ask. Like I had people ask me why I ignored a fourth pick shock. And then I could explain to them, this just doesn't kill anything in this format. It's basically going to burn your opponent. So if you want to discard a card and have them start at 18, and some decks would be interested in that, take a shock. Otherwise, I'm probably not going to play this in Aether Revolt. And some of them were like, wow, okay, didn't know that. That's good knowledge. And, and it is. So if you're like, come to our streams, watch this stuff. And if you see us making some picks that seem kind of weird to you, uh, just ask about it. We'll be happy to chat with you about it. It's also possible we're wrong, right? Like, <laughs> that could certainly happen too. Oh, yeah. My first couple of Aether Revolt drafts were absolutely awful because I forgot how to draft the format. So <laughs> I can certainly be wrong. Frequently wrong. All right. And uh, as always, if you have any questions about this, you know, pop in a chat, pop, uh, hit us up on Twitter uh, or anywhere else, and, and we'll gladly answer those questions for you. So, But uh, I think that's going to wrap it up here this week. Nice, tight, efficient episode once again. So thanks for listening. Thanks again to Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com for the host and the support. Uh, if you want to check us out and give us some support on your own, you can do that on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash menfrommoto. And Travis, where can they catch you drafting competitive queues this week? Uh, you can find me drafting competitive queues until I run out of gems at twitch.tv slash simulin. I'm also on Twitter under the same name. It's S-E-M-U-L-I-N. And I'm on Twitch and Twitter at dcivilian. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. Once again, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Adios.